You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Fenizio, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. maybes are there in our lives. That is those things that God wants to do in and through us. Like for example, maybe God wants you to reach your next door neighbor. You fill in the blank. What are those maybes? Are we taking advantage of those opportunities? Maybe God wants to use you for some grand purpose. All of us have maybes in our life. How we approach those things should be what separates people of faith from those who lack it. If you had full confidence that the God of all creation was leading and equipping you, what kinds of great things could you accomplish? Today, Pastor Mike will challenge us to stop letting doubts and reservations hold us back from stepping out in faith, even when the task God calls us to seems humanly impossible. As long as you're following His will, He will make a way. Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 14 as he begins his message, Adventures in Faith. This message is all about being effectively used by God, identifying those opportunities that God provides for us and walking through those doors that God opens up. So let's get right into it. Let's go to our text, uh, 1 Samuel chapter 14. Let's begin by reading verses 6 and 7, then I'll make certain comments, and then we'll continue on uh, through this chapter. So 1 Samuel chapter 14, verses 6 and uh, 7. Then Jonathan... And as you know, Jonathan is Saul's son, who is now the king of Israel, said to the young man who bore his armor, that is his armor bearer, come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised, referring to the Philistines, and it may be that the Lord will work for us, for nothing restrains the Lord from saving by many or by few. And so his armor bearer, said to him, Jonathan, do all that is in your heart. Go then, here I am with you, according to all of your heart. Now, to understand this situation as it existed, we have to go back to chapter 13. So let's revisit some of what we've already talked about in chapter 13 last time. At present, Saul is Israel's king. He has fielded an army of 3,000 men, According to verse 2, go back to chapter 13 and verse 2. 
He's divided those men into two companies. He gave 1,000 of those men to his son Jonathan, who we are told in verse 3 of chapter 13, solidly defeated a garrison of the Philistines in the location of Geba. Now, in retaliation, because of this defeat, the Philistines decided upon a massive counterattack. Okay, let's pick up in chapter 13 and verse 5. Then the Philistines gathered together to fight with Israel 30,000 chariots, 6,000 horsemen, cavalrymen, and people as the sand which is on the seashore in multitude. And they came up and encamped in Mishmash to the east of Beth-Avon. So this is quite an impressive company of people. And so these Philistines combined all of their forces and strength to go out against Israel. And then notice in verse 6 of chapter 13, we read there, when the men of Israel saw that they were in danger, for the people were distressed, then the people hid in caves, in thickets, in rocks, in holds, and in uh, pits. In other words, there were so many Philistines that were a part of this army, Israel had become frightened and they begin to uh, desert, realizing that they were no match, that there was no prospect whatsoever of winning this uh, battle. We are also told in chapter 13 and verses 17 and 18, follow along with me, that the Philistines had now begun their invasion of the land and moving in as three divisions, notice again according to verses 17 and 18, uh, one moved in towards the north, another towards the south, and another began a frontal assault as they sought to divide the nation and destroy it. Now, looking at this situation in the natural, you know, considering it purely statistically, this great and well-armed army of the Philistines coming against the ill-equipped army of Israel, remember we talked about this last time, they were without any kind of weaponry. All they had to fight against the Philistines were farming implements. You would think that this has to be the end of Israel's army, and there was no way that they could survive this assault, and therefore they considered defeat inevitable. And looking at it in the natural you would be right in your assessment. But that's not taking into account that Israel had an awesome and supernatural God who was ready and willing to fight for them. But then also Israel had one man who was looking to the greatness of his God, rather than looking at the terrible forces of the enemy. And who was that individual? Well, it was Saul's son, Jonathan. And this man, Jonathan, was ready to take an adventure in faith. And that's where we get the title of this morning's message from. Now, let's go back to our text here in chapter 14. Let's go back to verse 6. We're back in chapter 14 now, in verse 6. And I want you to take note of the way that Jonathan refers to the Philistines. He refers to them as, notice, the uncircumcised. Now, I want you to understand that this is not some racial derogatory uh, slur, Jonathan is just simply recognizing these people, the Philistines, 
that they were without the advantage of a covenant relationship with God. And this is very important. And this is something that I think would serve us well to recognize that we also have entered into a covenant with uh, God. You know, I pray to God that we would realize the advantages that we possess, the result of our covenant with God in Christ. We who are the circumcised of heart. And that involves God providing for us, God protecting us, God providing direction for us, and ultimately victory over whatever we have to uh, face. Now let's get back to Jonathan. Jonathan here, according to our text, is thinking perhaps God will help us. Now why do I refer to Jonathan's faith as a marvelous one? Well, I want you to notice that this act of faith him and his armor bearer going up against the garrison of the Philistines wasn't predicated by some promise that God had made him. Samuel hadn't spoken. Samuel the prophet at this time, the judge over Israel, hadn't spoken to uh, Jonathan, assuring him of victory going forward uh, to go up against this garrison of the Philistines. So no word was given him by God or by the prophet Samuel. You know, this is, if you think about it, a classical example of what faith really is. Let me give you a cross-reference for this. In the book of Hebrews, in chapter 11, in verse 1, there we are told, faith is the substance of things hoped for, but the evidence of things not seen. So this was exactly what the kind of faith uh, that Jonathan exercised here and why it was so uh, marvelous. Notice here, there's no assurances, only a maybe. Go back to verse 6 for a moment. Notice that phrase, it may be. So Jonathan's thinking here, it may be that God will give us the victory uh, today. Maybe God wants to destroy the Philistines, but there's only one way to find out. Now let me pause for a moment. Let's bring this down to personal terms. How many maybes are there in our lives? That is, those things that God wants to do in and through us. Like, for example, maybe God wants you to reach your next-door neighbor. You fill in the blank. What are those maybes? Are we taking advantage of those opportunities? Maybe God wants to use you for some grand purpose. You know, if we just get out there and exercise the faith that he's more than willing to uh, give us. So listen, this man, Jonathan, was quite a guy. He was a daring young man. He was a man of faith, rising to the challenge. And oh, how that we need men and women like this today. Men and women who will go out into the battle against the enemy, who are just simply willing to go for it and trust God, exercising their uh, faith. It, it may be uh, engaging in the battle and personal sin within our lives. Maybe God wants to give us the victory over that reoccurring sin uh, that has been vexing us for so long. Maybe God wants you at this moment to overcome that sin, to get the victory over that sin. Maybe God uh, wants you to make a stand for righteousness. Maybe make a stand for some kind of a righteous issue. To cry out, for example, uh, abortion, like for example, that would be a, a good illustration of this. One man 
can really make a difference, as we are about to see here, as it relates to uh, Jonathan. Or maybe it has to do with evangelism. Uh, maybe making a difference in sharing your faith at your place of employment. Maybe reaching a member of your family. Whatever. Again, you fill in the, the blank. So here, there was only one man, and that's all God needed. One man who was so totally dedicated to God. One man in league with God. Listen, gang, that is all that's necessary. Now, some people reading this might at first glance think that this was an act of blind faith. Come on, you got to be kidding me. Jonathan and his armor bearer going up against the garrison of the Philistines. A garrison, the number of people that were a part of a garrison or numbered of a garrison was 1,300. So how are two people going to go up against 1,300 and be victorious? So at first glance, you know, reading this particular passage of Scripture, you would think that this is really blind faith. It's like a leap into the dark. But I don't think so. And i got to tell you something. I'm not one for blind faith. Give me faith. And this brings us to our second point. And if you're taking notes, write this down. Faith that's predicated upon foundational truth. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, first of all, I want you to consider that Jonathan had a true concept of God's power. Notice there, let's go back to verse 6, the latter part of verse 6 for a moment. Notice what we are told there. Jonathan says to his armor-bearer, For nothing restrains the Lord from saving by many or by few. So do you see that there? So faith then, as far as Jonathan was concerned, was reasonable for uh, faith. There was a basis for his faith. And he had a track record uh, to prove that. Remember back there in chapter 13, and we just sort of touched on it, but if you were here last time together, remember back at Geba, uh, knowing that the land that Phil, the Philistines had taken was God's land that God gave to his people, uh, Israel. And the Philistines had no business possessing that land. And Jonathan knew that God wanted that land back. So what did he do? Well, he took the thousand men that his father Saul had given him, and they went out and fought against the Philistines there in Geba, and God gave him a, a very powerful and wonderful victory uh, that uh, day. Well, so, you know, looking at it again, you know, on the surface, again, you may think that, you know, these kinds of faith, blind faith, may, is not reasonable and may lead you into what some might think or consider as an unreasonable action, that is, Jonathan and his armor-bearer alone going up against 1,300 of Philistines, fortified troops there as a part of this garrison. But once again, it was based upon reasonable faith. Now, let's talk about his reasoning. And I want you to take these things, these different points that I'm about to share with you into consideration when you're facing unsurmountable odds, when you're facing an enemy that you think is greater than yourself. So here's Jonathan's reasoning. First of all, he knew that God is stronger than all the forces of the Philistines. And thus, it doesn't matter how many men 
how many weapons they possess, God is still stronger. So again, whenever you're faced with some kind of situation, always take that into account. Make sure that God is a part of the equation. God is still stronger. And that's the proper assessment of the power and the greatness of uh, God. I mean, God had made himself known in Israel's history. You know, Jonathan was probably thinking about all of the previous battles that were fought, that God went before his people Israel uh, to wipe out their enemies to give them uh, their victory. He was probably thinking about all of the miracles that God had performed on behalf of his people Israel. And so Jonathan, knowing the greatness of God, he knew that God could defeat this army just as easy with one man as he could with a great number of men. Go back to verse 6. Notice those two words there, no restraint, or can literally be translated, no problem with God. There was no restraint for on God's part to give Jonathan and his armor bearer the victory that day. There was no problem. So it doesn't have to take a whole army, that is, if God is involved in the battle. You know, and again, whenever you're facing your particular difficulty or your struggle, again, it's so important that you bring God into the equation. Make him a part of that battle. Lean upon him. Make your appeal unto him. God will strengthen you. He'll do for you what you cannot do for yourself. So again, it doesn't have to take a whole army if God is involved in the battle. In this case, all God needed was one man in league with him to defeat the enemy. And then Jonathan also realized this. And again, this would fall under the category of Jonathan's uh, reasoning. Secondly, if God wants to do this work, it's done. It's a done deal. Listen, one with God is always a majority. So never feel like you're being alienated, that you're all alone in your problems. It's never the case. When you bring God into the equation, right, you find yourself now in the majority. But so often, here's the problem. A problem is, is that we're looking at the problem instead of looking to God. And the more you look at the problem, you know what that's like. We've all been there, right? Uh, I know that I have. And uh, you study the problem, the more impossible it becomes. The bigger it grows. It sort of snowballs. The more we become overwhelmed. I mean, so often when we look at the problem, we forget the most important factor as the solution to our problem. Who is what? Who is God? You see, the moment you bring God into the problem, you found the solution. And then another point that I want to draw your attention to as far as Jonathan's reasoning. He knew that he served the eternal God who has created the physical universe and all that there is within it. In other words, there is nothing too hard for God. And God can turn things around overnight. We've talked about this so many times, right? You're vexed. You're, 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 you're not sure how things are going to play out and, uh, the night before. And you're wrestling with your pillow. You can't get to sleep. You're tossing and you're turning. You're in advance thinking about what tomorrow is going to bring. You're trying to resolve 
you know, how the whole thing is going to play out in your mind and, and uh, you're expecting the worst to happen, right? But then the morning dawns and what do we discover? God has gone before us and all of the things that we're anticipating didn't happen at all. You know, I want to give you an example of this from 2 Kings in chapter uh, 19. Let me set this up for you. The king of Assyria has surrounded the city of Jerusalem with intentions to take it. He has been chiding Hezekiah, who at that time was Israel's king, not to trust in their God, Jehovah, that he was impotent to help them. They had surrounded the city of Jerusalem. Hezekiah takes the letters that were sent to him, those threatening letters that were sent to him. He spreads them out before the Lord, and then he says to the Lord, look what they have been saying about you, that you are impotent to help us. Well, God took up the cause of Israel, and in verse 35 we read, and it came to pass on a certain night that the angel of the Lord went out. In other words, God sent one angel, one angel, on behalf of his people Israel. And he killed in the camp of the Assyrians, who were camped around the city of Jerusalem, 185,000. And when people arose early in the morning, there were the corpses all dead. You know, I, I can just imagine uh, Hezekiah looking out from his vantage point down into the valley where the Assyrians had been camped. And all, there are all of these uh, motionless bodies strewn all over the place. 185,000 had just been killed by this one mighty angel of God that he had sent to go before his people Israel in battle. And so listen, and then also, by the way, in the, in the next uh, verse, in verse 36, and you can only imagine, so Sennacherib, who was the king of Assyria, departed and went away, and returned home and stayed in Nineveh. Oh man, right? And uh, we shouldn't be surprised uh, by that, right? And so, again, nothing is too hard for a God. So, whether your problem is a personal one or a problem on a national level, listen, remember this. If you're a child of God, everything is under his control. And thank God we don't have to face our problems without him. God desires to help us. Second Chronicles, in chapter 16, in verse 9, there we are told, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose hearts are perfect before him or loyal before him. And so God wants to help you, that is, as you face your problems today. No matter how great your problem may seem, or little your problem may seem, God is there to help. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long we're so glad you joined us today on In My Father's House for our continuing verse-by-verse -verse study through the book of 1 Samuel. If you'd like to hear more messages from Pastor Mike, please visit our website at harvestnyc.org. You can listen online. Just go to the Resources tab.
Otherwise, you can find them on oneplace.com and search for Harvest Christian Fellowship or Pastor Mike Venizio. Viewing our recent services can be an option as well through Vimeo. We also invite you to subscribe to our podcast. Just search your favorite platform for In My Father's House. If you're in Midtown Manhattan and looking for a church home, come visit us here at Harvest Christian Fellowship. We meet every week for worship, Bible study, and fellowship. It's easy to get here. You can reserve your seat and get directions at our website. If you can't make it in person, that's okay. Join us on the live stream to participate in our services virtually. Just follow the link at harvestnyc.org. If you happen to have any questions for us, give us a call at 212-247-1877. That number again is 212-247-1877. Would you like to connect with us on social media? You can find us on Facebook and Instagram. Just follow the links on our website. Again, that's harvestnyc.org. We're so glad you took the time to listen in today. And we hope you'll join us again next time on In My Father's House.